spines. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day just to be alive, to gather together like this as a unit, as a family, by your grace and mercy. Father, help us not take this thing for granted and every day is a privilege and all the things we have, all the good things we have are from you. Help us to appreciate them and be thankful to you at all times. Father, most of all, we're grateful and thankful that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to remove our debt from us once for all at the cross. We are eternally grateful. Help us focus on him as our joy every single day we wake up. Without him, we know we're nothing, but with him, we have everything. And we're so, so grateful. We ask that you bless this message. Guide us by your Holy Spirit. And it's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of your Spirit. Amen. All right, the deceitfulness of sin, part 38. Uh, this has been on my heart to share with you all uh, for a while, and, and especially after Sunday's message, as we can sometimes overreact to an emphasis from the pulpit. So let's start this way regarding the deceitfulness of sin. We are largely on the lookout for subtleties, regardless of the topic or the angle the Spirit has us focusing on. Uh, for example, self-deception, gratitude, partiality, idolatry, worship and music. He's, he's broached a lot of subjects with us and connected it to sin deceiving us. But again, remember, we're talking about deceitfulness. So we're talking about things we don't plainly see. We're talking about largely subtleties, things that are very sneaky, that sneak into the good things as well to distract us or pervert the way God wants it. Just think about that. Think about, I've been thinking about this too, this perspective, right? God is sanctifying us. He's sanctifying us. That means he's making us holy. That means he's setting us apart more and more for him. How is he going to set us apart more and more for him unless he shines light on the little things that are perversions in maybe the way we worship, for example. He wants us for his own. He wants us to do it purely his way. So he's shining light on things that are sometimes painful, but uh, realize when we talk about these subjects, the Spirit is bringing out subtleties. So I think you'll see that a little bit more as we go on in the lesson. Again, we are largely on the lookout for subtleties, regardless of the topic or angle the Spirit has us focusing on. Our human tendency is to overreact to strong messages. Um, we allow the pendulum, as pastor would say, to swing all the way to the other side. And that's a big mistake. We have to be on guard not to let that happen to us. When things come from the pulpit that challenge us, or that might seem a little extreme, we can't let that happen. We have to be like, okay, step back. Big picture, what's the Spirit trying to say about this topic? He's bringing it up for a reason. Do I have a perversion in this area of my life, in my soul, about music, for example? Um, just ask yourself the big picture question. Why is the Spirit emphasizing this right now? And don't swing all the way to the other side like all Christian music is bad. Obviously, that's not what pastor is saying. So... Keep things in perspective. Uh, for example, on Sunday, Pastor asked us what we would do if our favorite entertainer or athlete showed up at the door, the door of our own home. How would we treat them? More importantly, how would we treat them compared to someone less seemly and less presentable who also knocked on our door? Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're talking about subtleties here. Because, of course, if your favorite whatever entertainer knocked on your door, of course you would show them love and grace, right? Of course. But do we subtly show them favoritism in our house above others who might be less attractive or less important in the world's view? You know, it's funny, like 
God might test us in this area because he's giving us the message now. I remember he tested me in this area years ago and I failed in the area of uh, partiality when that was coming from the pulpit. The test came right after the teaching. So beware, you might have some knocks on your door. You're like, what the heck is going on? Within 10 minutes of each other, you might have a famous person and you might have someone less presentable, let's say. And now you're faced with treating them. You have to treat them. You have to make a decision how you're going to treat them. You can't ignore it, right? And that's what God does. He brings it to our doorstep. He says, okay, what are you going to do? You have to do something. So just be ready. uh, Think about subtleties, though. Does the um, famous person, quote-unquote, do they get the best seat in your house or the last piece of pie, for example, simply because they're famous or you admire them? They might be a jerk when you get to know them. You might not like them at all once you talk to them for an hour on a personal level. And more importantly, they might disdain the Lord. So the question was, why do we tend to do this in our soul? Why do we tend to put them on a pedestal in our soul when they might be our enemy for all we know? And how about this? How about when they do show up in your homes, on your TV screens and computer screens? You have invited them into your home in that scenario. Does everything stop and you tell everybody else to shut up so you can hear every word that comes out of their mouth because you don't want to miss one word? Because maybe you have them on a pedestal? We all do it. I'm I'm guilty as well. It's safe to say that we have problems in our soul when we don't want to miss a word from someone who's caught up in worldliness, if we're honest. So personal favoritism came up on Sunday, a la James 2.1. Why is our inclination to adopt world standards and meet its esteemed proponents at levels that they define for us? Why are we plagued with the desire to please those same people proportional to their social reputation? even though they couldn't care less about our Lord. It's one thing if you know someone is a believer or fears God. Then you, then you, you have something in common. You, you know something about the true them, not the image them, the true them, if they're a believer. But many of these people that are so wrapped up in the world could care less about the Lord. They don't even know who Jesus really is. I've been seeing that more and more lately. The more people I talk to, it's horrible. It's It's strange. But it's not because less and less people are into the Word of God. I mean, when, when I, I was talking to someone today, too, when Jesus comes up and, and you try to broach the subject of who do you think he is, I literally don't know what to expect the answer to be now. I've gotten so many different answers. I literally am, like, flabbergasted half the time. Like, where, why? And it's just because they don't have truth. It's their opinion of Jesus or what the world has told them Jesus is through media or whatever. So anyhow, watch out, be on guard for personal favoritism. On Sunday, the Spirit parlayed two principles together for us, which we read about in James chapter 2. We were asked why we act in personal favoritism when the Lord is impartial and perfectly fair to all. And also we were told that a good work would be impartiality. Impartiality would be considered a good work. Not partiality, impartiality. Which means fairness, really. Total, honest fairness, regardless of who you're dealing with. So very simply, we were encouraged to examine our faith against this standard. And on the board, we asked, is our faith genuine? According to Holy Scripture, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. James 2.17 Even believers can apply this test to their faith. For example, if you say you're impartial, so you're sowing good works, right? That's a good work, to be impartial. Then why do you treat others with personal favoritism, revealing evil motives? That's what it reveals. Your motives are off if you're treating someone unjustly. And really, that's what it is. It's it's an injustice to elevate someone to a... Position of favoritism 
uh, compared to someone else for the wrong reasons. The deceptions of sin are targeting our souls, often in very subtle ways. Sin and the kingdom of darkness want our souls to take a hit. Think about it that way. They want our souls to take a hit, to be uh, weakened by accepting someone improperly, elevating someone improperly in our souls other than the Lord. Giving someone too much improper affection in our soul. So this came up also. If you esteem someone this way based on worldly standards, how pretty they are, how smart they are, how funny they are, whatever, how rich they are. If you esteem someone this way based on worldly standards, how much easier is it to grant them not only a place of honor at your dining room table, but a place at the altar of your soul? Think about your soul as an altar. That's where we worship God. And what we allow into our soul can get in the way of the purity of that experience, the purity of God's altar, that only God should be on that altar. And yet we put things in, in front of Him, in the way, so to speak. A key point has been, don't let someone with worldly wisdom or success influence your soul regarding Christianity and God. And uh, I think this is big because we have to be aware of what idolization will lead to, might lead to. When you put someone on a pedestal in your soul, and maybe it's only because they're good at what they do, right? At first, that's where it starts. And then as you keep listening to them and keep listening to them, they get philosophical. They tell you how life works. They sneak in little nuggets of their wisdom, which comes from worldly philosophies. And all of a sudden, they use the word God. And all of a sudden, because you like them so much and you listen to them so carefully, with too much attention, you accept that little false thing they stated. That alternative to true meaning of life that they stated. And now it's in your soul. Because you gave them open entree to come on in. I'm listening to every word you say. So beware. Don't let them into your soul that way. Don't allow them a place of intimacy. On the board, Colossians 2.18 in the ESV, we're warned here, let no one disqualify you. That means someone could disqualify you. Let no one disqualify you. Insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Verse 22b, according to human precepts and teachings. Verse 23a, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion. Self-made religion. Think about that phrase. Arguably, that is the downfall of every man at some point in their lives. We all do it. And this came to my mind when discussing proper worship in music as well. The question came up, are our affections turned from the Lord to our own feelings as the priority? It's really something to really think about. Again, it's a subtle thing because you don't recognize you're doing it if you're doing it. We probably all are to some degree, at least at times in our lives. So be humble. And ask God to show you. Is this a subtle form of self-made religion? Where in a way you're, you're worshiping yourself. You're putting yourself as a priority. Your feelings as a priority over God. On who you adore in your soul. Who you have affections towards. We make ourselves a little God. Occupied with how we feel. Rather than thinking about and praising the person of our Lord. This is another thing I've been thinking about. Like, you know, the Spirit is working on us all, right? As we get messages, God is hoping that we think about them and ponder them and pray about them. And He's been showing me, you know, different things to look at it a different way. And a lot of songs that I'm starting to listen to and pay a little more attention to, they're often about me and I. And what God has done for me and I. Christian songs I'm talking Right? I am redeemed. True. Good. 
but it seems more songs are about what I have gained from God than about the person himself. Less songs seem to be about Jesus. God, you're awesome. You know, whatever better lyrics than that we can come up with, right? God is this. God is that. You know, it, why isn't it uh, about him instead of about, about us? And these are subtleties. It doesn't mean the other songs are untrue or even unbiblical necessarily. But shouldn't our praise and worship be towards God himself, the person, the person of Jesus Christ? So on Sunday we explored what does the Bible say about music ministry? Uh, what's its purpose? What, what does the Bible instruct us in about music? So turn to our first passage in Ephesians 5.15. Ephesians 5.15. Again, these are subtleties and realize that God is trying to sanctify you. That means set you apart more and more for his purposes. He's not satisfied like with, you know, halfway there. He wants to take us all the way closer to him in this life. There are plenty of believers that are, are um, not willing to get closer to him. And they'll still be saved, they'll still be in heaven, but they won't have the same kind of intimacy that a believer that gets out of the way, I guess, and is willing to be sanctified. They're not going to have that same type of intimacy or relationship, what we might even call rewards in heaven. Ephesians 5.15 Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So that goes for every area of our lives. What's the will of the Lord regarding music worship? Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. First of all, notice singing to the Lord is another way to give him thanks and express gratitude. The importance of gratitude in our spiritual lives once again comes up. It's such a key component to having a good relationship with God. And we're told to sing with gratitude. Same thing in uh, Colossians 3, which we'll get to. Let me ask you this question, and maybe this is more geared to you ladies, just to give you an example of what I was also talking about before, about some songs talking about me, I, versus God himself directly. Which expresses more love and gratitude, ladies? If someone sings a song about you, or if someone sings a song to you? I was even thinking of some of the songs that we might sing, you know, in the choir coming up or as a congregation. Are the words about God, or are we singing to God? And if you go to the Psalms, you'll see a lot of it is to God. It's personal, and it's directed to Him, not just about Him, which is fine, but what's better? What's more intimate, ladies? On the board, singing and making melody with your heart. Spiritually speaking, music is worship. While we worship in groups sometimes, worship ought never be any less personal. The Bible instructs us to sing with our heart to the Lord, to God. Ephesians 5.19, Colossians 3.16. Worship must be directed to God, not our emotions. Interesting thing to think about. Sing with our heart to the Lord. Go to Colossians 3.15. Colossians 3.15. You know, some of the best things about going over, um, you know, on missionary trips, and I'm sure Joey will tell you too, um, 
to India or to Africa is seeing the people sing without giving a hoop what they sound like. They just sing to the Lord at the top of their voice many times. And it isn't like good. <laughs> you, you saw that in the India video, right? Uh, when Pastor came back from India. It isn't what we would call good singing. They are singing to the Lord. They're not, they're not singing a pretty little song together and wanting to fit in and all the things we do in America. They're singing to the Lord. They're grateful to the Lord. And they don't care about anything else. They're not perfect. They got their flaws like we all do, but it's just a good thing to witness. Colossians 3.15, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Notice it's the word of Christ, by the way. That's the content of our worshiping in song. Verse 16. The word of Christ is the content of these songs that are sung to God in thankfulness. And this is an example of what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. The word of Christ must be front and center in any type of Spirit-filled worship. Go figure, right? The word of Christ must be front and center in any type of true worship of God. How is it true worship of God if the word of God is not involved? Directly. Whether it's Bible class, singing, praying, these are all different forms of worship. The word of Christ must be in the middle of it. That must be the content of it. Not something you make up like the Gentiles who speak too many words trying to impress God. On the board, music ministry context. Like any form of worship, if the individual isn't personally, actively involved in worshiping the Lord, they are not worshiping biblically. I love the, the, the term actively, personally and actively. If someone's not personally, actively involved in worshiping the Lord, they're not worshiping God. They're not worshiping active voice. They might be stuck in the passive voice, sitting back and receiving only. One point Pastor made is that the Bible says, we ought to be the ones singing. If you look at what the Bible says, we're supposed to be the ones singing. We're not supposed to be sung to. And we've almost been uh, brought up that way, even in Christianity. It's an interesting phenomenon, maybe, maybe even just the last few decades in American Christianity, where it's become uh, being sung to instead of participating. Worshiping the Lord in any fashion is not supposed to be a passive exercise. That's something to think about. I mean, even when we sing in the congregation, and maybe you, uh, whatever, don't like to sing, maybe you got a bad voice, whatever your excuse is, whatever your discomfort is, it's of the flesh, because the Spirit wants you to be free. Um, be actively involved. Uh, take it personal. It is a personal opportunity to just sing to the Lord. Close your eyes. Forget people. And I hope that's what we do going forward. So the Bible speaks about music as an active form of worship, not entertainment. And when the choir goes up front to lead us in song, we shouldn't be looking at it as, oh, we'll let them sing. Oh, we'll let them put on a show. I'm glad they're up there so I don't have to sing might be better if we don't have a choir. might be better if we just sing. Do you know what I mean? Like, pure, simple. I mean, we'll see what the Spirit does, but I'm just saying, people look at a choir in the wrong way, like, like it's their job. And let's watch the show. And that's how it is in a lot of churches right now, unfortunately, throughout Christianity. The singing uh, ministry is elevated improperly, and they get the attention instead of God getting the attention. It's a really subtle thing again. All right, so, regarding unbiblical music worship, 
Some believers put their own emotional stimulation ahead of their praising of the Lord himself. They want to be entertained and lifted up rather than lifting up the Lord in their own hearts. Some Christians are and have been trained this way, and they almost don't know another way. Maybe it's you. I don't know, but that's for each of us to examine ourselves, if that's how we've been thinking. Some believers put their own emotional stimulation ahead of their praising of the Lord. They want to be entertained and lifted up rather than lifting up the Lord in their own hearts. Is there anything wrong with emotion? Not at all. God gave it to us. But as most of you well know, emotion should be a response to grateful thoughts about God and Jesus and what he did for us. Emotions are not to be the primary thing. They're supposed to be a response to the thoughts about how good God is and has been and will be. So regarding music and emotions, mindful thoughtfulness about our God and Savior, good biblical truth in the soul, is what can trigger wonderful emotions. Like true emotions. Do you know what I mean by that? Not fabricated, not uh, forced, not um, empty. True emotional response to understanding the goodness of God. That's how it's supposed to be. That's the order, the godly order. But emotion shouldn't be sought after first, which would be out of place. Music worship isn't about emotion. It's about praising the Lord with thoughtful words about Him and His glory. The simpler and the more pure, the better. Isn't that what the Spirit's been telling us for a few years now? Simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Again, on the board, music and emotions, mindful thoughtfulness about our God and Savior, good biblical truth in the soul is what can trigger wonderful emotions. It is brought about by meaningful words on our Lord's goodness. But emotion shouldn't be sought after first, out of place. One point has been, in the last few lessons, be careful what you listen to. The message isn't throw out all Christian music because it's bad. It's be careful what you listen to. Don't overreact to what the Spirit is hitting us with. What's the Spirit's point? Watch out for subtle distractions and deceptions, even in good things like Christian music. Hasn't that been a large part of this whole series on deceitfulness of sin? Even in good things, watch out for the ways that they get twisted and perverted and the way Satan tries to sneak in there and change the meaning of things, etc. Watch out for subtle distractions and deceptions, even in good things like Christian music. If we're not careful, even things that appear good can lead us astray. So be careful what you listen to, and also be careful how you listen. In Luke 18, Luke 8, 18a, Jesus says, so take care how you listen. How do you listen to your, I know he's not an idol, favorite actor on TV when he's interviewed. How do you listen to him? What type of ears do you give him? What type of attitude are you holding at that moment? For example, regarding music, maybe a lot of music on K-Love is good, but it's not just what we're listening to, it's how we're listening to it. In other words, are we paying attention to the words and and the message of the song? Or are we just droning out to the tune, hoping for an emotional pick-me-up without mindful thoughtfulness on the message, without the meaning of the message being our priority. God always wants our minds to be led by His truth. There's never a time God doesn't want our minds to be led by His truth. If it's not, then we're falling into some kind of satanic, worldly deception then emotions can follow because we appreciate His truth. But how do we have like pure, good emotions if you don't first have something to respond to? 
that's good and true. So regarding uh, worship error, this came up on Sunday. It's possible, even common, for Christians to forget or ignore what the Bible says about music worship. If it's merely an emotional pick-me-up, something vital is missing. Intoxication is dissipation, which is not being filled with the Spirit. We're talking about being, to- being intoxicated with your emotions. <clears throat> some churches, you know, some, maybe some of you don't know, but some churches are very emotional in their music worship. So much so that if you walk in, you, things are out of control. So what, where does that quote-unquote need come from? to almost get hysterical during the music worship service. And what if it's not even based on the message of the song? What if it's based on the loudness of the music or the chanting or the uh, wailing, so to speak, in some songs that don't have so much content in them? It's, It's a big error that a lot of Christianity has fallen into. Some Christians today go to church simply to get riled up. And the music service is longer than the uh, Bible service, than the teaching. Why is that? What, what, what brings that on? Like, what, why is that their priority? That, that's, to them, that's important to them. To them, that's the right way to worship. Why? What's backwards in the soul? Emotions apparently appear to be first. People worshiping their feelings. So also we talked about how many songs have a lot of meaningless repetition, um, even like a wailing of sounds at times, where it's supposed to be about the word of Christ, as we read. Let's recall the Lord's words in Matthew 6, 7. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So that's a mistake, right? The Lord's calling out a mistake. They suppose they will be heard by God for their many words. Back to subtleties. Is all repetition bad? The Bible doesn't say that. The Lord here calls it meaningless repetition. That's bad. But what if it's meaningful repetition? Paul and Peter both talked about the benefits of repetition in teaching truth and the need for it. As far as singing, the Psalms, which are songs, as you most of you know, contain some repetition in them. If you go through, I'll give you an example in a minute. But it's meaningful repetition. It's filled with words about God and Christ and His wonders. It's meaningful. Again, back to the word of Christ being involved in song. Go to Psalm 103, verse 20. Psalm 103, 20. So I guess we're getting a little bit of a balanced statement today because we tend to overreact, you know. We we hear something and we get indignant or whatever our problem is. (laughs) We don't like to be challenged in how we're doing things. We think we're spiritual and we might not be doing things the way God really wants us to do them in a more pure form. Psalm 103, 20 through 22. Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength, who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you who serve him, doing his will. Bless the Lord, all you works of his in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. There we see some repetition. On the board, we see a refrain in Psalm 107. Four times this statement is made. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. Obviously a meaningful repetition. Wonderful words. Wonderful things to remember and give thanks for. When truth is the substance of repetition, repetition can be good. And even those in heaven repeat 
words filled with truth when singing to the Lord. Go to uh, Revelation 4, verse 8 for an example. Revelation 4, verse 8. So no meaningless repetition, no babbling, if you will, to the Lord. But when the word of Christ is in the middle of it, and that's the content, that's wonderful. That's where even your good emotions can flow from. Because you're filling your soul with truth, and therefore you're more appreciative. It's like a snowball effect. And then all of a sudden you're having a good emotional response, but truth is first. Revelation 4, 8. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Day and night they do not cease to say that. But those are some wonderful, meaningful words, aren't they? Direct praise to God, by the way. Not even about God. To God. Singing to Him. So if we wrongly put aside meaningful words to be replaced by sounds that make us feel good, then sin is subtly deceiving us. It can often, music can often sound good to the flesh, but that's not good, obviously, if that's why you're engaged in something or accepting something. For example, let me give you a personal example because uh, K-Love Radio came up on Sunday. Some of you I saw put your heads down and get all in a tizzy. I'm just teasing, but who knows what was going on in your soul. When I turn on K-Love Radio, is it because I want to sing and worship God along with them? Or do I turn it on for an emotional boost just seeking something to numb out to? so to speak. Uh, I asked this question because of personal experience. I've recently asked myself this question because sometimes I turn the radio on just to have noise. Anyone ever do that? It's even worse with the TV. Oh, I work with uh, seniors a lot who are home, home a lot all day long, and the TV's on 24 hours a day as background noise. So talk about garbage, allowing that in your soul, right? But anyway, um, I digress. Sometimes I turn the radio on just to have noise. And I'm thinking with K-Love, it's good noise, right? But is it good to do something just for the sake of doing it? Obviously not. God looks at our motivation, right? He looks at our heart. He looks at why we do what we do. Am I just trying to occupy myself and escape my own thoughts? Guilty, sometimes. I just want to stop thinking about something or um, I'm in a, a funk mentally. But instead of talking to God about it, I put something on to kind of drown it out. And uh, what's wrong with quiet time? Why are we so like uh, uncomfortable with quiet time? It's because we've been so trained with media. 50 years ago, even, uh, it was easier to have quiet time, right? Now it's like I always have to have something on. Why? Your brain's been trained. But why not keep the radio off unless, unless, you're, unless you're willing to worship? Remember active voice? Like actively participate in singing to God? Unless you're ready to do that, maybe you shouldn't have it on. Maybe it's a time for quiet time and like letting things, let God work things out in your soul and talking to Him. It's actually been good for me. I'm just sharing, you know, just so you have some personal experience, I guess, but it's between each person and the Lord. I'm just starting to uh, turn the radio on when I'm ready to worship, not just for a filler, you know. And it's been good. I've been enjoying it. Instead of almost um, forcing myself to worship, you know what I mean? Like turning on the radio and being like, okay, I'm not really into this right now, but okay, this song's on now, and then, you know, I don't know how to say it, but we can force things. Does God want that kind of worship, or does He love a cheerful giver who's cheerful even when He gives thanks, which is really what singing is to the Lord. So it's a time for everything, and a lot of this is something 
we each need to dwell on and even test ourselves, even examine ourselves, even uh, do experiments with the radio or whatever music you listen to and see what God shows you. He might, he might show everyone in this room something different. You do realize that, right? Because we're all different places. We all look at things a little differently. We all look at perverted things or, or pervert things. Sorry about that. We all pervert things <laughs> a certain way, a little differently in each soul. And God knows exactly what your problem is, even though you don't. But if you remain open and humble, what's he going to do? He's going to show you, huh, I've been looking at that the wrong way. Or I have been listening the right way. Be careful how you listen. So ask the Spirit to help you if you're open. The music worship example. If we're deceived and our feelings become our God, we live to serve them instead of our Lord. That's like a travesty, especially if you don't know you're doing it. Like I would say a lot of Christians don't realize they're doing that. They're worshiping their feelings instead of the Lord. Music worship is a symptom of emotionalism, which means we must discern all areas of our lives where emotionalism dominates. God doesn't want us to uh, be a slave to emotions. You know, he doesn't want uh, them to control us. That's backwards. We've been designed by God to control and be in charge of our emotions, not the other way around. And so thinking truth is first. The, the word of Christ is first in any form of worship. And that must always come before emotion. Then your emotion's free to respond to something truly good. And that's when emotions are like fruitful and wonderful and even productive for your own growth. Because truth comes first. Otherwise, if emotions are first, it produces instability, which is not from God. So we might say it this way. If we're just looking for a quick emotional fix, almost like a junkie, then we are deceiving ourselves and we'll actually lose the peace of God in the process, not gain it. You know, if, a, if our emotional high is the priority in music, for example, we're actually going to lose the peace of God. There's not going to be any, any substance to the emotion. It's going to be empty if we're not careful. So once again, let's remember that God is looking at our hearts and our motivation and why we do what we do. What also came up on Sunday is that, unfortunately, the big business of Christian music often focuses on selling people emotional satisfaction. They're not focused on pure worship of God. What happens when more and more money gets involved in anything? It corrupts the motivation of those that started the organization, the cause, the whatever it is. Do you think if more and more Christian artists had the chance to earn six figures in Christian music, do you think more and more will do it to do whatever sells? That's deceitfulness of sin, right? It's going to work its way in there unless someone's always in the Word of God to protect them. And so you have, possibly, songs being created strictly to uh, arouse emotion instead of worship God. So pay attention to the songs. You might see some of this. And that's all the Lord is saying in this uh, part of the series. Pay attention. What you listen to and how you listen. On Sunday also came up the fact that it's a lot easier to sell music than truth. To sell worshiping of feelings rather than worshiping of God. It's a lot easier. Why do you think um, every song, every Christian song that comes out has to have a, a new beat or a new quick line, a new line that hasn't been spoken before? Really creative. Why? Why aren't they just hymns? Why aren't they just straightforward hymns singing to God. They want to be unique and different. Why? Who knows? Between them and the Lord. 
but it's a lot easier to sell worship of feelings than worship of God. Celebrating worshiping feelings on the board. Sin has lied to billions of people over the ages, proposing that as long as it feels good or right, it may be construed as such. On the flip side is truth, which makes enemies. So I have, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth. Galatians 4.16 Why do some of us even right now hold some resentment about these messages on music? Pastor made a good point on Sunday. It's because for years, our flesh was able to fly under the radar, worshiping and serving our feelings rather than God. In a very subtle way. Very subtle way. Priorities. Has Just ask yourself, and you may say no, but has your flesh been doing this over the years? Has your flesh creeped into worship of God, making it about serving your feelings? Maybe not. Good for you, but at least ask the question. God wants us to have emotional stability, not emotional instability. He really wants us to be emotionally stable. The only way is if the word of Christ is front and center in every form of worship. And the truth, therefore, sets us free. And then we can have emotion in its right place. And we're still stable. On the board, worship God, not feelings. When we are properly thinking truth first, we are spared a lot of pain and suffering because we're not looking for perverted comfort from the flesh, even from godly things like music. We're spared a lot of pain and suffering because empty emotions produce pain and suffering. Forced emotions produce pain and suffering and instability. But when we're properly thinking truth first, we are spared a lot of pain and suffering because we're not looking for perverted comfort from the flesh, even from godly things like music. So if you're resentful right now about comments about your music worship or your radio station, just step back and ask the Spirit to personally show you if you've been out of line in some way in your music worship, or even your thoughts about music worship. Maybe you don't esteem it enough. Or maybe you don't see it as important to sing to God. When the Bible says it's very important, as a form of worship and gratitude. Remain open, remain humble to the Spirit's convictions. If you do, what's it for? It's for your freedom. He wants us to be set free in every area of our lives. And it's for your stability as well. On the board, 2 Corinthians 2.11, so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. Satan tries to get inside every good thing. If you haven't figured that out yet, you need to probably listen to the whole series again. Satan tries to get inside every good thing, everything from God, to twist it and pervert it. Just a little bit. But if we stick to the word, we won't be ignorant of his schemes. And this brings us full circle as we begin to close. The world's influence upon our worship can cause us to think if we don't always feel good we're doing something wrong again the world's influence if we allow the world's influence or even people that we admire to infiltrate the definition of worship or Christianity in our souls then they'll get us to think if we're not always feeling good we're doing something wrong and then, you know what, they, they try to get us to quit that way. Come over here, it's a lot more fun, you know, or it's a lot more whatever. They try to get us to quit. We've seen this in the latest blog, which referred to the treadmill of happiness that we can be on. Um, for example, it's biblical to be sad because of the depravity in the world or the deception that man is under in this world. It's biblical. It's actually good. It's good. Christ wants you to um, relate to him, for lack of a better word. Christ wants you to embrace his purpose for coming. 
and, and, and follow up, right, in spreading the good news. But guess what? It's difficult. It's painful at times if you're going to live for others. It's painful at times because others, I'm going to want to use a word right now. I won't use it. But others are difficult. People are difficult. It's difficult to get turned down when you give someone the gospel and they say Jesus is a blah, 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 right? He's a nice guy. He's a spiritual guru. But he's not God. Don't be ridiculous. It's difficult to handle that in your soul. So which life do you choose? The Spirit's asking us that. Which life do you choose? The life the world tells you that you should have even as a Christian? Or do you choose the life the Lord Jesus calls you to, which is one of self-sacrifice, which is going to make no sense to the world. Even your idols in the world are going to be like, you're stupid. Why are you doing that? That's not how it should be. Jesus loves you. Enjoy your life. Are you here for yourself or are you here for others? That's why the, the, the way is narrow. Most people aren't willing to turn from self and live for others. Not willing. So don't listen to the lies of the kingdom of darkness because they're going to bash you over the head with that. On the board, biblical Christianity. Let's follow Jesus and his wishes for us, not what the watered-down world thinks his wishes are. Know what I mean? Have you ever experienced this with people that tell you what Jesus' wishes are for you? And they might even be unbelievers, but they're educated or they're philosophical. And they talk with an authority that they don't have. It's crazy. But they don't go to the Word, so what else are they going to do? And they think they're doing right, but they're just deceived. Some people will flat out say, Jesus wants me to be happy. But they're talking about worldly happiness. They're talking about gaining everything in the world. That's not God's opinion of happiness or of even advancing in life. But that's what they'll say. Again, on the board, let's follow Jesus and his wishes for us. That means your nose has to be in the word. Or you're going to be deceived on what his wishes are. By some very well-intentioned, smooth-talking people. Let's follow Jesus and his wishes for us. We know what they are. Not what the watered-down world thinks his wishes are. Everyone's got an opinion. Finish that yourselves. Don't got that? Oh, boy. All right, fine. I have to listen to the message again and pick it up. Um, people, when they're talking about happiness, which came from the blog again, they're not talking about biblical happiness, contentment, joy, peace, that goes beyond the natural as we fight the good fight of faith in this world. Just think about that. And by the way, it's called a fight. What do your worldly Christian friends have to say about that? When they say, oh, you should have everything. What do your worldly Christian friends have to say that it's called a, a good fight that was supposed to fight, a fight of faith? That means discomfort. That means mourning at times. That means self-sacrifice, just like Jesus went through for us. So on the board, following our prototype, Jesus Christ is called a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Living for Christ in the devil's world means being well acquainted with sorrow and suffering. That's part of the deal. And it's good. For now, it's good. John 16, 33. Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. So, let's close with our passage on uh, Sunday, Matthew 5, 1, where we looked at Jesus' own encouragement to the disciples and how it involves, for lack of a better word, discomfort to follow God. Why? Because we're in the devil's world. What do you expect? <laughs> why? why it, that makes no sense for Christians to expect that life should be a bed of roses if the Bible says we're living in the devil's world. That makes zero sense. So you're of God, you belong to God, 
you live in a world that is temporarily controlled by the devil and you think it's supposed to be good for you, it's just deception, right? And maybe it's religion. Maybe it's self-made religion again. Matthew 5, 1. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Here's the irony and how God's ways are not man's ways. The world's definition of happiness is the opposite of God's happiness. In this verse, the Greek word for blessed is often translated as happy. The Greek definition for the word blessed is happy. But this is God's happiness, not the world's version that is chased after and never attained. God's happiness, listen carefully as we close, please. God's happiness includes a supernatural inner joy that is possessed by the man who follows God's ways. That's what we see here in Matthew 5. God's happiness includes a supernatural inner joy that is possessed by the man who follows God's ways. What are God's ways according to Jesus? We just read it. A willing mournfulness. A willing hunger for God's righteousness. A willingness to be humble and gentle. These are things that are contrary to the world's opinion of religion and happiness. But they hold secret treasures to gaining God's peace and inner joy. True happiness. Happy is the one that is poor in spirit who mourns in the devil's world. There's a certain, supernatural is the only word, folks. There's a certain supernatural peace and joy that you will have when you decide to live like him. It transcends everything. doesn't matter how bad the situations are down here. You're able to rise above it all. And that's the kind of peace that God wants us all to experience. And that's where happiness lies, because it's real, it's, it's substantive. It's not going to go away, like the happiness in the world that we think is there. So, on the board, supernatural joy. We find our joy in Christ, from His victory on the cross and with His light burden. And we have relief from the lies and deceptions of this world, even about so-called happiness. Thank God. Thank God there's something to receive from God if we follow Him in obedience that is supernatural and rises above it all. You could be in the worst situation. It doesn't matter. So we are blessed if we live like Him. On the board, this will be our last point. Blessed are. We are happy in our hearts when we aspire to be like him, the selfless giver and lover who gave himself up to save sinners. His peace will sustain the humble believer in this mournful world. That's the only kind of happiness that's real and sustaining. The Lord's life included blessings and persecutions and a lot of mourning at times. A lot of disappointment in people's lack of faith. A lot of disappointment in what people think of Jesus. Fight the good fight of faith. You'll be okay. God's with you. God will strengthen you. God will even give you a kind of joy that you shouldn't have when people, quote-unquote, spit in your face. Fight the good fight of faith. And God's Word says you will be blessed. We are happy in our hearts when we aspire to be like him, the selfless giver and lover who gave himself up to save sinners. His peace will sustain the humble believer in this mournful world. That's the only kind of happiness that's real and sustaining. We saw that in Matthew 5, 1 through 6. And Ephesians 2, 14 says, He himself is our peace. Amen? 
Father, we thank you so much for your word, for the truth that sets us free. Thank you for sustaining us. Thank you for strengthening us and helping us fight the good fight of faith, keeping the word of Christ front and center in all of our worship. We thank you, Father, so much for everything. Uh, help us not be familiar with your blessings and your goodness toward us. We ask that you bless us all as we go and share your good news with the world who sometimes will spit at us like they spit at you. But we thank you for the privilege. And we ask that you sustain us supernaturally by your joy. We ask these things in Christ's precious name and it's by the power of your spirit we pray. Amen. <coughs>